And we're back again for another episode of Friday Night Counter-Attack. And again, it's the light squad that we've got today. And we've got Salim on and we've got Salim's friend Umar, who will be our special guest today. So Umar, by all means, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. And I look forward to asking you so many questions going ahead. So Umar, how have you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad at all. Uh, missing missing football a lot from kind of refereeing and, and playing as well, really. But uh, I've got into running loads at the moment, so it's uh, I'm, I've seemed to enjoy that. I went for a run. With Salim uh, the other day, he was he kind of he was he was trying to keep up with me, uh, probably about a mile behind me or something. But <laughs> yeah, it was. It, was hard. <laughs> it looks like you're still in your running gear. So if I've, literally, I've literally just been. So literally, I kind of I went about seven o'clock, and then my challenge was to get back for the podcast. So it worked out quite well actually. That was right. my uh, little bit really. You beat both of us to signing onto the podcast, and nicely done there, Omar. So. Um, again, it's just going to be an easy conversation with another guest today. So Umar will be a, someone that will have so many things to t- tell us about, but we're going to probably have a part two because I've been reading upon your LinkedIn as Salim sent me that. So I was like, there's so many things I want to ask you and so many things I want to know about. But like other guests, we'll keep bringing you back on and quite, we'll be happy to learn a lot more about you. So okay, I just want you to let our listeners know just a brief overview of what you're doing at the moment. You're currently coping in lockdown and... Um, We'll start from the beginning afterwards. So just from the beginning of lockdown, how have you been and what's been new in terms of your new challenges coming up? Yeah, it's been lockdown itself has just been a strange time for everyone. I, I started a new job on the day of the lockdown. So the first uh, day of the lockdown, I think, was it March time or something like that, really? Yeah, that yeah. Was my I think first. March, March something, 25th, something like that, maybe. Yeah, so I kind of I started a brand new job that day. So it was possibly the strangest time ever to start a job. Uh, kind of get, getting ready for work in the morning and then being told stay at home and don't, don't leave me. So it was a, it was one of them really. I was at the past job, I was there for seven years. And ironically, the reason I left there was I wanted to work in more of an office environment. And obviously that's gone completely, completely wrong through COVID really. Uh, is yeah, office your living room now or like your bedroom or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that's what it is. It's kind of a spare bedroom that was supposed to be for my daughter, uh, a nursery room, but yeah. <laughs> It's full of equipment and everything now, really. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's been it's been all right. It's just I think just normality is just you miss that really. Uh, I think we kind of say I think when it first happened, you think in a couple of months it's everything's going back normal, and then you go again, you go again, and it's it's, it's difficult. But I think more of it is just the start and stop nature of it. Like and especially when we look at our football football season. We started and then we had a break, and then they, I'd prefer it if they just if stopped it. Or just just played it and we played it. It start and stop doesn't do no good for anyone really, and that's that's the thing that's really kind of I'm finding it difficult at the moment. So what have you been trying to do to kind of combat that difficult time in your life? Really, like you obviously started a new job. You're probably working from home like a lot of people now, and I just wanted to see if you have found any like hints or tips or any techniques of trying to make it easier for working at home. Uh, I've, I've been running. I just I've I've always been fit, fit, fairly fit. I like to say, but I've never actually gone consistently into running really. So around the start of lockdown, I just started running, uh, kind of once or twice a week, and then build that up to about three three to four times a week. And even at the time, it was nice weather then. So I thought it's just going to be one of those phases where I think everyone just started running around lockdown time. But yeah. I just kind of somehow just kept it up. And like I mean, it snowed ridiculously the other day. Uh, last week and I, I managed to get out and do 5k there so I think running really helped uh, but then also I think I've got, I've got a daughter that's two now so I think ha- being at home with her has, has been really good as well really I think the past job 
I was kind of, kind of, I don't know what you guys do for a living, but I was kind of traveling to London, Birmingham, Manchester, like in a week, yeah. every week. And I think weirdly, I've spent a lot more time at home with, with my daughter, with my wife. And it's, 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 it's been nice, actually. It's very nice. I felt, I felt a bit more bond than I did when I was just on the road working all the time. I think you've got no other choice really because you you can only strengthen your bond if you're spending more time with that person and even if you're like for example I moved out of my family home for the first time last year in 2020 and I felt a more close bond with my wife now after living with her and closer with my parents even now because I didn't appreciate what they were doing for me when I was there and I didn't appreciate how much they did and how they uh, just kept everything going running and uh, like running the household basically you don't learn these things until it happens to yourself and even with you like just with your daughter as well it must be amazing because you're probably learning so much about her that you wouldn't if you were traveling to uh, all of these places in the country which is fantastic to hear yeah that's what that's what that's what I think especially kind of when I look back at the last year compared to the year before when I was just working all the time and I think that obviously going from Batley to London in the day it's just you're on trains all day by the time you go home you're so shattered you don't even have time to do that. And I, I just got, it's re, the positive side of it's really made, made me appreciate how much time I really do need to spend at home and I kind of just, just kind of connected with family really. So that side of things has been good. Obviously, the other thing stopping has not been ideal, but again, we just, we make do, don't we? But running, running is the thing that's really got me going, I think. Because I used to do running a lot when I was living back in my parents' house, but I kind of lost that when I was traveling for my new job that I got in lockdown. But then uh, ever since lockdown three has happened and I'm now in a different location so I'm just here like I'll happily run in the morning or mid-afternoon when it's quiet go to the local park and it just keeps your mind occupied as well and it gives you that little bit of freedom that you wouldn't get if you're just stuck in home and you're just talking to everyone and seeing the same walls the same faces and again just football's been a blessing as well I think everyone's told me that the fact that we can just watch whatever game you want to watch and it's all televised as well and with the FA Cup that's just happened over the weekend some fun games has happened it's it's nice to see that you can appreciate little things here and there and even with me I've got so many things that I want to do but I'm just timing it for the right moment otherwise I just get bored of doing the same things over and over again. Salem how's your week been you've been okay? Yeah it's not been too bad I think um, lockdown's been quite hard as well uh, this third time around because it just feels like every day is repeat you know every day just feels like the same thing again and again to be honest really miss playing football like we used to look forward to every Sunday morning when we had our games and stuff but we can't even do that at the moment so yeah just waiting for it to end now this is where it gets interesting because I believe Umar is a football referee and has refereed a couple of your games Salim is that true oh uh, no he's not refed any of our games thank god no. but yeah he's, he's meant to be a <laughs> quality referee is what I've been told yeah that's fine probably a bit like a lot a lot of typical referees sometimes I, I wasn't the best footballer in the world uh, I, I didn't really play that much when I was younger but I really really enjoyed football I, I kind of and I toyed around with a couple of ideas I thought maybe I could go into kind of PE teaching maybe I could go into coaching uh, and then I, do, I don't know I just can't remember I think I just stumbled across refereeing somehow uh, I might have seen a, I think I saw something in the newspaper and kind of asked a couple of friends I said oh do you fancy doing it and no one really wanted to do it thought, that's just for losers really uh, I don't really want to go into refereeing and for some reason I'm, I've always been that type of person that if I want to do something I'll go, I'll go on my own and do it so I ended up going to this I think it was in a pub or something where at the time where they actually did the course it was like a really old school kind of working men's club and they were doing a referees course there so I signed up to it uh, and, and went on and, and did the course really and and from then on it just kind of led led to a range of things really 
so so yeah, so, so I did the course, I qualified, uh, and then you start at the bottom of the ladder. Really, you start at refereeing kind of grassroots level junior football, uh, and that's where it starts really. Now, this is where it gets a bit tricky for me because you get a lot of people that are like, oh, of everything you want to do in football, refereeing is the last thing you wanted to do. So I just wanted to know what made you go into refereeing. And I know um, Salim's probably playing Sunday League football and I'll just like, like for me, I'm, I qualified to become a football scout. So I'm a professional football scout at the moment. And I'm just there like refereeing is something I definitely wouldn't want to do, not because of just the abuse you'd be getting, but the fact that you'd be doing at grassroots level, be local to yourself and elephant in the room of you probably get racially abused by players for just being a brown man in, in the game. I just wanted to know a bit more about what made you go down to the refereeing, go down the refereeing path, basically. Yeah, I, 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 I don't really know, to be honest. It's just one of them things. Really. I just, I, I wasn't, I kind of, I like the idea of the referee in terms of, I think at the time I wanted to develop myself from a CV purposes. That's probably it. And I thought refereeing develops leadership, develops actually, shows you're actually quite proactive. You can manage things and it's a range of skills. Initially, I thought maybe that, that might be it. But it was just really a case of, I don't know, just try it, just see see how it goes. If it, if it goes well, it goes really well. If it doesn't, uh, you, you can uh, give up really. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if, what, what most referees would say, really. I don't think many people would say, I like standing in the centre circle and being shouted at by 20, 20 people or anything like that. It's not really the type of thing. But it's just something I want to be involved in football. And I thought, if I, if I can't play, uh, if I can't coach, referees probably the next, next best option, really. Well, how long have you been refereeing for? So around, I think over over ten years now. I think about if about 11, 11 to twelve years. Really, it's, it's kind of flown by. Really, eleven years in the game. You don't even look old enough to be doing eleven years in the game as well. Yeah, yeah. It's cr- it's crazy. You must be wearing some moisturizer that I don't know about yeah. to be keeping. This lockdown beard looking. helps. This lockdown <laughs> beard helps actually. I'll say I, I look about twelve otherwise. So uh, yeah, you look twelve without the beard. So I, I can <laughs> imagine that as well. Uh, but I just want to know with refereeing at the moment, do you kind of get that? stigma of oh yeah you're the villain on the pitch or oh yeah you're always going to get abuse or do you find positives in it or do you find ways that you can think you know what this would be something I want other people to learn more about I, I think it, it varies at kind of stages of your career so when so, so kind of going back to the the course so I did the course initially I passed the course it's fairly basic the course itself it's kind of at the time it was very theory based it was that kind of question and answers but since then they developed it now it's more practical based which which is probably makes more sense really. Uh, but in those days, it was just very theory based. A lot of question answers. If this happens, what would you do? These are the laws of the game. And it was probably delivered in a bit of a boring way, but that's how they did it. And then after that, you're just thrown in the deep end really. You're kind of, that's it. You're a qualified referee, go out and referee games. You sign up to a local league and that's where you go really. So I think I remember my first game was, I had a choice either do junior football or going straight into men's open age football uh, and for some strange reason I decided to just do men's football straight away <laughs> uh, I, I think part of it was some, someone did say to me with junior football the, the issue sometimes is is the players can be hard work but it's the parents that are mm. really really quite can be hard work as well which really I understand pushy kind of, they're really pushy, really pushy with their parents. kids if, if little Jimmy gets kicked they're going to get angry at the referee and there's always that rivalry with parents because I think someone said that to me at the time and it stuck in my head and he goes, go out and just referee referee men's football. Uh, so I think I was 19 at the time when I did it and I just went and I got my first game. It was, I can't remember the team's name, but it's two pubs in Wakefield. And I mean, mm. in the area, it's predominantly a kind of white area, not many Asians in the area. 
uh, and I, I just turned up and I'll be honest, I'm really nervous. But once kind of after the first five minutes, it, I don't know, everything just flowed really, everything I learned in the, in the course and players generally aren't that bad really, provided okay. they've got someone, a referee who's fit and health, healthy and gets around and actually talking, they're not too bad really. I, rem- I remember it was a bizarre game, it was like 2-1, the goalkeeper kicked it out of his hand and he went in. There was a, a bizarre on goal. It was a really strange, strange game of football, really. But just once, once I had the whistle in my hand, uh, I, I, everything just came naturally to me. That's really nice to hear. That's really positive to hear because my initial thought where it shouldn't have been, oh no, it's going to lead to a negative conversation. You've had a lot of bad experiences and it's not really something that I would be interested in. But the fact that you've kind of just led me to a positive light is really nice to hear. So thank you very much for explaining that, Omar. Um, I, I think at that level it is because the kind of lowest lowest level, Sunday league, everything like that, players generally just appreciate having a referee that can do a yeah. job really. Because at the end of the day, they wouldn't, if there's no referee there, they won't have a game. So they generally appreciate appreciate having a referee and someone actually there. Obviously, I think whoever gave me the game, the league probably thought it's his first game, let's give him like a, a mid-table game, nothing on the game. Mm. Everything like that. If, if they put me into like a top of table class, it probably would have been a different story. But players are generally, I think if you're with refereeing, I find if you generally have a good attitude to players, if you have a good attitude to kind of people around you, players are generally okay. And this is kind of a message. I say this on our Sunday team and it kind of winds me up really. And I'll, I'll, Sally will know as well. Lee. When players in our team give the referee abuse or give him stick, it's it's so pointless. Yeah, because the I know. I, I agree. It just sort of puts you on the back foot. Anyway, like whenever I've been on the pitch, I've always tried to like have sort of like a talking sort of relationship with the ref because at the end of the day, he's just another human. He doesn't want to be here like twenty people swearing at him, that kind of thing. But yeah, like Azuma <laughs> was saying, and it's just, oh, it's just basic human nature. My my advice would be be nice to a referee if he makes this or oh, well done ref and. And naturally, a referee would just be nicer to you, and uh, not kind of. Uh, not, I would I'd say it's a slight loophole that, in the fifty-fifty of the situation, you'd think just human, basic human psychology. A referee might give you that decision because they think this team have just been slightly nicer to me, and it just, there might be something in the mind there, really. But I think it all depends on the referee's attitude. So wait, did I hear that mm-hmm. correctly? Do you play in the same team as Salim in Sunday League? Yeah, so so kind of when we come on late, I kind of I started as a referee, and then after a while, I ended up playing uh, Sunday League as well, really. And basically, you said you were doing refereeing for like eleven years or so. So I just wanted to know how you end up developing your skills outside of work, um, outside of refereeing, to help with like your day to day life, your normal life. Did that help you in any way regarding your career, or did it help you with your personal life in any way? I think I think I personally think refereeing kind of helped me developing to kind of who I am I think it, it gave me that confidence it gave me that kind of leadership qualities and I think generally I think when I did refereeing uh, I thought my whole point was to get a, a career in sport whether that's through refereeing whether that's through some professional football but it ended up leaving leading to a career in sport as well really because it's just something looks good in your CV as well really in terms of guys going out there uh, leading leading teams actually taking part in something doing the qualification so I think that side of the leadership side and quality uh, uh, kind of confidence really helped me really uh, I, I thought anyway but I would say like back on the referee thing like most referees to be honest are quite like like they'll, they will talk to you on the pitch you know like like as in in that sense Uma's a, like you know ref himself but he knows that and I guess it is it must be hard for refs as well when you're refing a game and you've just got like you know one player or two players you know just like literally swearing at you for like 90 minutes 
be like, oh, I can't wait till this is over kind of thing. I just want to get him booked, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think I remember. So I had that first game, which which went really well. Second game went really well. And then I remember that there was a maybe third or fourth game and they always told us at the, at the course, they said, you're going to have one game where everything's just going to go wrong for you. And you'll remember it. And I, I remember I remember that game. It was Thorns Park in Wakefield. And it was like literally every time I blew my whistle, both teams were like, what are you doing? Everyone hated me. I got an offside wrong. I disallowed. Got, it just everything just went wrong. That could possibly go on. I sent two people off. One probably was wrong. It, it was just horrible. It was the most horrible 90 minutes of my life. And I came off the pitch and I kind of, I kind of went into the changing room and I was like on the verge of tears. It was just hor- horrible, really. But kind of games like that make you and you learn from it. Uh, and, and I think that's where that kind of resilience comes. Some people might have done that game and said, you know what, that's, that's it. I'm quitting. I'm not doing it again, really. But I kind of, I kind of gathered my thoughts. I, I kind of got, got upset about it. And I thought, you know, next week I'll get out there again and do it. And that's the thing about refereeing, really. You, you're going to have good games. You're going to have bad games. You're never going to get every decision right. But it's just how you deal with it, really. Uh, and, and and those experiences have helped me. And I think that's made me a better referee, really. Someone said to me, what made you a good referee? I think my bad experiences, the mistakes I've made, uh, the things I've done wrong, they make you a better referee because you learn from them and you know what to do in different situations. That's a good way of putting it. Because, again, you could have you could have gone one way of saying, you know what, I'm done with this. I've had my worst experience. It's not going to happen for me anymore. But you persevered and you showed that whoever's seen you on that pitch you probably could have like gone there the next game or the next season after and still um refereed at that pitch as well and they'd have been like oh yeah he's back again but he's improved and I'm not sure how much bands you'd have with the players like here and there and you'd just be like oh yeah I'm back again I made a mistake last time I've already sent you off but no hard feelings or anything like that does that kind of happen do they remember you as a ref I think yeah that's right so like the, the kind of especially at the lower level because you referee teams quite a couple of times it's like Mick Salim when we have refs we'll mm. see one ref come and we had him before I'm like oh my god not him again yeah, but then you'll, him again, yeah. equally you'll see a ref you think he's a decent ref there but I, I think even mistakes really as in I, I found early on that kind of admitting a mistake or being actually quite, quite transparent on the pitch really helps so if for example an offside offside for somebody I don't know uh down south for some reason, Sunday league football, from what I understand, you get the, like one someone from the club does the line, don't they? They do offsides. Yeah. Uh, up north, we don't do that, do we, Salim? So up north, no, the, referee no. call, the referee will call offsides all the time, really. So right. referees are going to get any, everything wrong. How does that look? That's crazy to hear. Like, you don't have your own linesman. You literally... Yeah, don't. exactly. I, I was going to say that. Like, we don't even have our own linesman. So, like, who was ref in a game? He's sort of... Like, it's, it is hard to call offsides because there's been games that we've played this season where, like, I've been onside, like, in games through on goal and it's been flagged up and nothing you can do about it, to be honest. That's that's Stalin would have missed anyway, but that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that's why I, I think it's difficult. But what I found was, if you just say to like, lads... I've, I've got one view, I might have got it wrong. The, the players are generally okay. Sometimes it's just, I think players get angry with some referees uh, who are quite co- confrontational, really. I'm saying there's been instances where referees have been hit and so about, which is completely bang out of order. Mm. But there's some instances where I know they've been, I've, see, I've been involved in a game where a referee was very confrontational with one of our players. Uh, and our players kind of a renowned hothead. And kind of my advice was just, just back off, he's wrong. If you need to send him off, send him off, but just don't get into his face because then he'll escalate, really. Uh, and that's why I think a referee's mannerisms and his kind of approach to people and 
just is generally how he acts with people goes a long way, really. Uh, and kind of anyone who wants a referee, I'd advise them just be be yourself, but be open. Don't be don't go into thinking you're a dictator. You're in charge. It's it's you're just part of the game. You're a referee. The players are there to play. You're there to help the game. So, do you kind of notice referee decisions that people would say, "Oh, yeah, that was awful. Yeah, that was right." Like you know. If you're watching BT Sport, they'll have a referee pundit on as well. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, he did the right or wrong decision. Do you kind of watch referees in different in a different light to other people? And you're like, oh, yeah, I know why he did that. I know why he didn't do that. Yeah, yeah, pro- probably do. Probably do, yeah. Uh, I kind of, I, I wouldn't say I'm kind of, I'm, I'm sad enough to watch the referee the whole game or anything like that. Really. It's, more, it's more kind of, I'll see that. And instead of getting completely outraged or saying, oh, my God, why has he done that? I've, I've kind of just got a bit more of a balanced opinion, I think. You know what? He's probably he's probably given that because of X Y Z. But but equally, sometimes I probably think he's probably just missed it. It's sometimes mm. what you find sometimes is there's no. Sometimes there might be no logical explanation to why something's happened with an offside. He might have just got it wrong. As in, there's no kind of. I think sometimes people analyze things or analyze decisions so so much. Like I said, oh, he's he's missed this. Why has he done that? And sometimes you've just missed it. There's no other. An explanation for it, really. Uh, See, I'd, I'd, but- I'd add to that actually. Like, the thing is, like, things in football happen like in a split second, like, not even in a second, like, you know, half a second it could take for something to happen. Like, you can't expect the ref to see everything in that sense. Like, even like offsides and stuff, it, the, like, we see it in slow motion and we see the fourth replay and then we call offside. But imagine the sort of decision making they have to make in that little sort of gap they get to do it. It's completely oh, different. And what we don't understand is the speed of that that football. It just it just must be intense, really. So I'm saying, kind of back to my kind of footballing experience. So I, I started at kind of Sunday league level uh, and kind of refereeing at that level. And then if you want, if you think you've confident enough, you think you've got a bit about yourself, you can say, I want to get promoted. I want to go to the next level. So then the kind of process is you get assessed for a certain amount of games. Someone will come out with a clipboard, watch your game. I, I, I don't know if anyone's actually been assessed while we've been, we've been, uh, we've done a game, Salim, but you'll probably see it through your football career, really. It's, so someone will come and you'll get an independent assessor and he'll kind of mark you on certain criteria and just watch the match and give you a mark at the end of it, really. So kind of I yeah. went through that process. Thankfully, it went quite well, really. So then I kind of moved up the ladders, really. So now I'm, at a, I'm fortunate to be at a decent standard of football, really. So now I'm kind of. I, st- I still would occasionally do a Sunday league game kind of if I'm free or anything like that. But my general type of football is I'd kind of do a lot of the kind of academy games. So kind of the under 18, I've done under 18 Premier League games. I've done under 18 football league games. I'll I'll be a linesman on uh, uh, football league reserve games as well. So kind of I've done a lot of, a lot of kind of professional games in terms of that. Uh, and then also kind of week to week, it's more the non-league level. So kind of Marine, you see, uh, Marine who played Spurs quite recently. Yeah. yeah. So that level is the level I officiate on. So like kind of weirdly Marine, they, they obviously played Spurs, but to get to that point, they had to play about five or six FA Cup games. So mm. I was on their, possibly their first or second game in the FA Cup. I was linesman on that game really. Uh, so kind of, they won that game 1-0, but I was linesman on that game. So that's the level I operate at now. So I'm quite fortunate that I've got to a level where there's crowds, there's, players were getting paid there's there's kind of a decent standard of football really and as you go up the levels you realize how hard it gets really it's it's kind of uh, our level Sunday league level you expect the referee to actually just deal with minor incidents do a basic job the demands of referees 
go higher and higher and higher. So the demands of these Premier League referees just must be kind of ridiculous, really. And their, their mental kind of resilience to actually officiate at that level with the money, with the crowds, with everything riding on it. It's uh, it just, they, they are the top top of the top. They're the best of the best, really. And they've been through that criteria. I'll just add something. The other thing is with Uma as well, like refereeing in sort of the levels that we play at, there's always that risk of like like a genuine fight happening and like sort of compared to the like some of like the mid-levels where you probably referee now. But in our level, there's like, you know, there's a risk of like a fight pretty much every week, to be honest. And, and, and that's what it is. Well. Yeah, and, and kind of, I know you touched on kind of racial abuse and everything like that. Really. And fortunately, I've never really had that much abuse. I think with refereeing, I did this on my dissertation as well with, with referees and abuse. Kind of what referees said was, we all get abused, no matter what colour we are, really. Once we put that black kit on, we're going to get some stick, we're going to get some abuse. So it's kind of difficult sometimes to tell whether someone's actually... like. There's been times where I've been in a game and I'm thinking, is this player being really awful to me because I'm Asian and a referee? But it, it's very difficult to call out until he, mm. unless he said something really explicit. They could just kind of turn around and say, well, you've got a decision wrong or we're... We, we give all referees stick, just not because you're Asian, really. But I think at the le- lower levels, kind of at our levels, you're more likely to get that abuse, really. Higher up you go, there's more professionalism, there's players are getting paid, there's crowds, everything like that. It's not as bad, really. Uh, but again, there's, there's been incidents in non-league where they are racism. But I think at our level, it's probably a tougher level to referee at because there is that risk of a fight. There's a risk of kind of people not taking it as seriously because it's not a semi-professional. And let's just go back to your time in academy refereeing as well, because for me, I'm I'm, because being a football scout, I'm quite fascinated in who the next big players are going to be in academies and stuff like that. And the fact that you've like gone to Marine and you've you've refereed and been a linesman as well, do you have to do something specific to get to your? Because I think you were explaining the levels. You know, just explain the levels to us again, just so I can. We can get. So, so, so I think when you start, uh, when you start, you start at like a level seven, level eight. So that's very kind of grassroots, uh, yeah. and it goes backwards really. So level seven, level eight is just grassroots. Up to level five is grassroots. When you get to level four, that's more semi-professional football. So level four and level three semi-professional, semi-professional football. Level two and level one is professional football, uh, and I think. Th- you've got to kind of go through a kind of promotion criteria assessments, but then at my level, it's fitness as well involved as well. So there's fitness tests. So I've got to do fitness tests every year to retain my place on the level. If I don't pass a fitness test, uh, I can't, I can't referee at that level. I can referee Sunday league, fine, but at that level, I'm not allowed really. So that's generally tends to be how it is really. So from level four onwards, that's when you get the, you get involved in non-league football, academy football and even kind of this reserve level football which I've been involved with uh, and I've been really fortunate to be involved in that really it's, just, it's a good standard of football uh, but kind of back to academy academy football uh, that's that's I find that really interesting in terms of refereeing academy football it's it's, I don't know say, it's quite boring because it's so technical it's just yeah. pass 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 so when I'm refereeing kind of non-league or involved in the, the stuff on Saturday that's kind of really brilliant on the football there they're tackling, they're, they're getting stuck in, they're really kind of that kind of long ball football. And there. academy football is really kind of pass, 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 pass. And I think the players are generally quite well disciplined at that level as well, really. I remember I did I did a game, Birmingham City versus Bristol City under 18s. And mm. there was one player who's been really kind of, he was on my case. 
And the, the manager went up to him and said to him, you continue like that, you're not going to be at this football club. And there was no kind of, no, I didn't say anything to him. But the, at that level, they want players to have that discipline because if they can't discipline themselves at under 18, then what are they going to do in the first team really? So I think that side of things is really interesting. But it's very technical. It's, I find that so technical in terms of passing, passing. Uh, and at times it can get quite boring, really. But but that's what it is really. But the speed of it is is really, really, really quick, I find. Uh, and players are kind of all pretty decent at that level. And that's where the huge pressure comes in as well. Because you'd, you'd, you'd have thought that you've got a lot of young players trying to bid for their place in the first team or in the reserves and stuff in the academy. But then when you realise and when you when you put it like that, the fact that they're just trying to make sure that they're right for the team and they're right yeah. for the club, basically. Like that guy could have ca- uh, carried on effing and blinding at you and the manager could have easily have gone, oh yeah, you can do that this week, but next week you're not in the squad or next week you're not going to be playing or next week you're not even going to be here. So they've, always, yeah. all, they've also got their agenda on their mind for the players' mentality and their, uh, their mind state if they're going to make it into their first team, which is fantastic to really hear about and really understand from your point of view. So was, was that kind of well, the same when you were doing the FA Cup um, work as well? You said you were doing Marine as well? Yes, I've, I've done t- like so Non-league itself is, is really kind of completely different because I think non-league, you look at a typical non-league team, they'll have either ex-professional footballers who've kind of been there, done that and, and found, found their way kind of in the latter stages. They'll have players who are kind of, were kind of prodigies at teams but have kind of fallen away and are playing at that level or you'll get really kind of old school non-league footballers really. Uh, but kind of back to academy, what, what I find kind of fascinating, every game I do at academy level, I'll always take a photo of the team sheet and I'll just kind of keep it as a log and think how many of these people will make it. Uh, and it's kind of, it's so ruthless in terms of how many actually make it. I've, you'll be surprised. I'll do a game and I'll think there'd probably be two, two or three out of this squad that would actually make professional footballers uh, and, and or actually have a good career really. And it's, uh, people don't realise that. And kind of, we think someone's got a place in academy. Well, they made it. They're going to be set for life, really. There's, there's players I've seen who, who kind of in that academy team who looked amazing. Like I thought, this guy is going to be like the next big thing. Two years later, he, he's playing under league football because it's that ruthless uh, academy football, really. And I think I found players develop at different times as well. Really. You can have a player at 17, 18 who is in the the best in his category. And I've come across players like that, really. I did Leeds United. So Leeds United team, I ref for them uh, quite a bit, their under-18s. And uh, there was a lad in, in in that team called Chris Dawson. I remember him. He was, he was like Luka Modric. He was everywhere. Hmm. He, he had the touch, everything. And I thought, this guy's going to be in the first team and he's going to build a big career himself. He ended up getting in the first team. And within two years, I think he's playing the league now. In that team also, there was a lad who was there who was a good footballer passing the ball about, doing the basics well, really good attitude. A uh, couple of years down, I looked at, I think that's Calvin Phillips, and he's, he's kind of one of the best players uh, in the whole Leeds team, really. And, and you find that, you find, you don't know really, at a player at 18, you don't know if he's physically right, if he's mentally right. Uh, every, everyone's different, really, at that level. And I've really found that uh, really interesting at academy level. And Calvin Phillips is one of Bielsa's key men, really, at the moment for yeah. Leeds, and has made the England squad this season as well. So, it really goes to show you can't you can't just shine in a team because it may not be your time this week or next week. And it's wonderful to really understand it from your point of view that you see it as a referee, like, wow, this player's really good, has done really well for himself, but does he have what it takes? And that's, again, something that I'll be learning or I'll, I, re- I am learning at the moment in terms of scouting 
the fact that you see a couple of players and oh yeah they've done really well they've scored recently but can they keep it up is their momentum right is their mentality right is their is their technique right in certain ways and it could end up being really good for someone really bad for someone and and that's why i think kind of refereeing at that level and doing a good job is really important because kind of you've got these players careers in your hands for that 90 minutes really if you if you kind of let someone get two-footed and he breaks his legs that could be his career or if you actually get something wrong it's led to a mistake that players it might stop him getting that contract at the end of the season so it's it's it's, it's a really good level of football firstly just for the players but then also just understanding that these players are actually playing for for their kind of careers really and, and that's what that's why I can there's a lot of talk I've read about academy players in terms of the mental health issues and the lack of support you can you can be at a club for so many years uh, and then at 18 you can say right you're not good enough really because just yeah, a fraction slow uh, but 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 that's really important but the kind of the non-league uh, the academy level I've, I've been really fortunate uh, kind of reserve football I've, I've refereed some really good f- footballers really so I was like Calvin Phillips Connor Cody when he was coming up mm. uh, Raheem Sterling which, who were just ridiculously quick <laughs> I, I don't know how I kept up with him um, <laughs> Suso, remember Suso, who, who played uh, yeah, for Liverpool? Yeah, yeah. yeah he went to Sevilla and, or AC Milan or something like that from Liverpool. One of, one of, one of his first games as kind of a reserve players, he, he came on and uh, again, I kind of officiated a game where he was involved. Uh, so, so some good footballers really, but it's, it's really nice for me to kind of see where their journeys are really. And obviously I'm, I'm kind of not at that level, but kind of like Calvert-Lewin, for example, he came on and, as a sub in a, in a Sheffield United uh, reserve game and then it's kind of nice to see him on TV thinking wow I was I was like sharing the picture with him at one point uh, and look at him now he's playing for England really. so it's, it's, it's it, that's the beauty of it really I get those experiences which not everyone has had or not everyone can say really that's a good way to end our little refereeing segment right there the fact that you've met loads of England internationals and you've gone from the beginning of their journey to where they are now and I'm quite thankful you shared that with us because a lot of people would have been like reluctant to share oh I've met Raheem Sterling, I spoke to Calvert-Lewin, we've refereed it in this game and it's really nice to hear from another point of view, from a refereeing point of view. So that's really fantastic to hear, Omar. So thank you very much. And just to end this episode, we'll just have a little conversation regarding your transition into Inter Batley and how that's going working with Salim. So first of all, Omar, what position do you play in the team? I play right back. I'm a, kind of a, a very, I, I call myself like a 7 out of 10 player really. I don't do anything flash. I don't do anything amazing. I just get the ball, pass it to A to B uh, and, and keep it very simple, really. How are you up bombing, down the, bombing down as a fullback? Are you up and down? I, I don't go past the halfway line. I'm very, I'm very reserved, <laughs> really. I'm, I'm kind of, I think Salim said a, a vanilla, vanilla. Vanilla right back, yeah, that's what I call him. <laughs> vanilla right back. He just does the basics, the simple stuff. But he's the number one right back at the club. I'd say he's, uh, he's miles ahead of second choice, third choice. He's miles clear, like, you know, first name on the team sheet, I'd say. And the other thing as well, having him in the team is he knows most of the refs and stuff like that as well. So that helps. Yeah, I, I think kind of, I, I would never say I was, I was particularly good at football, but the reason I, genuinely the reason I went into Sunday League football to begin with was just to look at, to improve my referee. And I thought, really, as stupid as that sounds, I thought, can I understand things from a player's perspective? Uh, and, and that's what's really been interesting for me is seeing how frustrating things are or how kind of other referees are from a di- different angle, really, because they always say the reason referees struggle is they haven't played the game. So kind of initially it was just kind of a weird experiment, really. Can I play and will it improve my refereeing? Which I think it did because I, I understand now when a player gets really frustrated at something, 
initially I think right I need to book him but then I think it was like, actually no if I was in that position and we've conceded a last minute goal because of referee mistake we'd, we'd feel that as well really but that, that's how it started but I've, I've kind of just really fallen in love with it really and it's uh, it's it's I've really enjoyed grassroots football it's it's kind of the, the level you get kind of some really good players which our team have you get some really bad players like we've got a lad called Zach who's just terrible yeah. <laughs> you can't be named someone that. on this podcast that. that's so that's so that. bad Umar imagine if he listens that. to this he probably won't listen to this but imagine if he heard that <laughs> just clip that and just send it to him that's all I want <laughs> yeah yeah but 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 is we've got we've got a good kind of it's it's generally uh, grassroots football is just a good standard of kind of cross section of players really, uh, and w- what I really like about it is it's it's kind of builds that resilience as well really. Like, there's games where you're, you're clearly better than the team, but they're physical, they're strong, and kind of it's kind of Asian thing really. Sometimes when we're facing, sometimes a, a kind of skinny team, a team with young flair players, on a Sunday morning when it's raining and we're playing against six foot guys who are just hoofing it. That's where we've got to find a way to win. We've got to find a different way to win, really, yeah. because passing it on on the pitch like that is not going to work, really. And those games I particularly enjoy, really, because it's just a completely yeah. different game, isn't it, really, Zalim? It's, it's carnage, yeah. I think, I'd say set-pieces defending-wise is extremely hard for us. That's that's probably the first thing I'd put out there. It's really hard for us to defend because we have, like, no height whatsoever. And everyone's got, like, six-foot players, pretty much. So that's That's quite hard. So it's basically like, it's, it's a normal weekend for you, basically, to defend against bigger players and stronger players, and in this typical yeah. Yorkshire weather, like just raining forever and windy, and it's literally something that you have to kind of learn how to deal with in in your way, I guess. That's a that's a yeah. weird way of saying it, but the fact that, like you said, you've got smaller players than a lot of the other teams. So, have you found a way to try and combat it at all? I, well, I'd probably answer in two parts. I'd probably answer it in two parts. I'd say the first thing is, well, well, I guess one way is just to score more goals than them. You know, that's probably the first thing. And the second thing is to just be like more physical ourselves. I think some of us play like a lot softer, but in training and stuff, we can sort of coach various parts into the game. Yeah, I, I always find kind of even even when I think of playing, if a team is physical, the physical team at some really generally tends to win. Uh, or if it's a physical team versus a skillful team, physicality is such a good equaliser, really. And I think sometimes, kind of young players or kind of some of our teams, we're not we're afraid to be physical, really. But once you are physical, the team respect you. And I, f- I find that find that all the time, really. Sometimes you just got to get stuck in, and and the team will respect you. I think you know what they're, they're giving it go. They're giving something back, really. And it just you grow in confidence as well, really. Uh, and we've got as a team, we've got a lot of young players, uh, and I think it's they're really young and they're learning and hopefully kind of the, the key thing for us is these young players can stay together for a couple of years uh, kind of players like Salim all these other lads there they can stay together and grow old and actually grow these experiences they'll be a lot better team really and I think that's 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 the important thing for, for our team at the moment Yeah I'd say like for our team as well like I think we lost like well you guys lost every game last season or something we've not lost it we've not won a game in 600 days till this season and I don't know, everything just changed. I think training improved. Like, this was my first ever season in 11 aside as well, like you were saying. And a lot of people's second season, so we're all quite new players. But in terms of, like, that range of, like, talent across the league, we've, like, this team has, like, transformed over a season and we're, like, a top three team. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, Salim kind of dropped in that because he's played for us. We've improved as a team. He's, he's, he's had nothing to do with it. I'll, I'll show you that. 
I was just going to ask you, Mar, as well, like, how Salim been in the team this year as well, but it's just answered my question. Is that no, like, is, the, is he the Bruno Fernandes <laughs> of the team? He's just come and lifted no, the spirits. No, no, I think I think no. I think Salim's been Salim been good this year, especially with his first year of eleven side football. I think that's really important. I think any player you could have the like, especially our Asian players, is we take a while to get used to eleven side, five aside, seven aside is really good. And because we're yeah. playing Astro, then when you go on a Sunday morning in Halifax on a muddy pitch, it's a completely different game. You could be the most mm. talented player there, but it's the ball's not gonna the ball's not gonna roll. It's not gonna stick really. And I think. For Salim, he's kind of learning that if the in the summer when the sun sun is shining, it's one game, but in the winter when it's muddy and the pitches and the ball isn't rolling, you've got to adapt your game really. I think I think it's it's all about learning really. I was I I learned for playing these muddy pitches and and someone like Salim will learn as well really. It's you've just got to adapt your game really uh, on Sunday league and that's the beauty of it really. And that's gone from me playing with Salim and Salim being one of the best players at our Friday night football that we'd be playing for like a year or so and Salon's played a long time on that Friday night in Birmingham to go into Yorkshire and learning that game. And it's really nice to understand that, that it's not just you're going to click like that, you're going to play your normal game. And mm-hmm. Salim, have you, because you've told me previously and you've said on this podcast before, you've had to try and adapt in different ways, your training technique, your way of playing and your way of kind of um, getting along with different players as well. So what would you say for anyone going who wants to go into 11 side football? would you say for them to do? Let's say after lockdown, they want to go to from five-a-side to 11-a-side. What's the best kind of thing you I, would suggest? I'd say first thing would be just like um, keep things basic and simple. I think that's the first thing because uh, like it's easy to overcomplicate things because like you can be an amazing person, player on five-a-side and like do solos and score from anywhere. But once you're on that 11-a-side pitch, it's a complete different game. Like even shooting, for example, because like pitches won't even be flat all the time. And, you know, with conditions that are quite bad, it's, I think the first thing that you should do is sort of like get your bearings on the pitch, like learn positioning, because I, I found that quite hard in our first few friendlies. But once, like, like I'm still learning every game and I'll probably keep learning forever, to be honest. But I think it, the best thing would be to use that first pre-season and first season to just learn about yourself on the pitch and just learn as much as you can about 11 aside and try to, like, not think about five aside. That's probably the key thing. And not think... Like the five aside sort of manner is like, yeah, just go direct and score. Like you can just score from every attack. But in 11 aside, it's more sort of build up and like thinking about in five aside, there's just you and like sort of four other players in your team. So it's easy to have like a direct influence on the game. But when you're playing 11, there's you and like 10 others, which you all need to sort of work together in order to, you know, get a goal or defend, etc. like that. Yes. And I think also, sorry, I think also just kind of try and kind of however t- how long you get on the pitch try and make an impact really I think where we are we're kind of we're in a bit unfortunate position really because there's not many kind of Asian teams around our area so the Asian teams that we do have have kind of like 20 plus players really so yeah. there's going to be unfortunate times where players don't get game time or we only like five subs as well really so there's going to be times where you're not you're only going to get 15-20 minutes really but the key thing is if you do come on as a sub do something in that 15 minutes, try and make an impact and try and actually stand out really because then that'll help you help you kind of improve or that'll help you get, get a chance next time really. And I was the same when I first started 11 side, 11 side football. I was playing 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here, sat on the bench, not even getting a game some games. That's what I was really, but kind of I said to myself, if I'm going to come on, I'm going to do something. I'm going to kick someone. I'm going to do something to actually get noticed really. I think that's the, 
that's an important thing really is to to kind of get no, get noticed and make an impact in the little time you do have sometimes so two top tips for everyone listening kick someone get your bearings right in the side foot <laughs> add something on that kick somebody bit Uma's got away with like a yellow card in every single game I'd say this <laughs> season that he's played in I think, again, as a referee, I tend to know, know the loopholes, really. And what I seem to find is kind of, if you go to ground and you foul, it looks worse. If you pull someone back, it just doesn't look as bad, really. And I think, I think psychologically, a referee probably might not be inclined to book you if you're, pulling, if you're just doing a shirt pull. But if you're doing a sliding tackle, even though the results are exactly the same, it, it seems, to, seems to do uh, do wonders, really. But I'm nice to referees. I'm very nice to referees, very courteous uh, uh, please and thank yous all the time, really, and it sends, tends to help, really. I bet you don't go waiting for them in the car park after a, after a yellow <laughs> card. No. Um. no, I mean, like, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, one of our other right backs, he's hardly played this season, and he's got like a yellow card, you know, after playing like what ten minutes of football or something. So yellow <laughs> cards probably more than his match day fees. <laughs> I still need to see an Inter Batley game. So whenever this lockdown ends, I'll probably have to come down and visit one of the weekends. I think it'll be quite fun to see Salem play 11 side football. So I can't wait for that to happen at all. And um, I think what we'll do is we'll just end it there because I want a part two with Omar anytime soon when the six of us are all back. There is so much that we've left out from this chat today. And that's something that I think we'll save for a part two. So Omar, I just want to say thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for coming on to our podcast. Salim, thank you very much for inviting him and introducing Yeah, definitely. Us. And we normally would have a conversation regarding football and regarding the events like Man United beat Liverpool, but we can save that for another time because it's, it's not the same for everyone here. But Umar, I just want you to leave this podcast just by letting us know your top five players that you've seen or you've refereed in, in professional football. You mentioned a few earlier, so if you could just name the top five for us, that would be a good yeah, way to I'd end. Say, I'd say... Uh, Calvin Phillips. Uh, I'm probably going to judge players who I think have, have had a decent career, gone on to have a decent career. So Calvin Phillips, uh, Ryan Babel played in the game, okay. uh, which was which was really interesting. It was it was obviously it was the international at the time as well, and he played in that game. Yeah. Uh, Suso, uh, David Brooks for Bournemouth. Yeah, Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're ben, trying to ben. sign him at the moment. Very, very good footballer, really. and even when he was young, he looked really good. And I thought he was really skinny, but I thought, you know, what, yeah, he might, skinny that was it. Skinny, and I thought, oh, he might, he might struggle, but he had everything about it. Connor Cody, purely for the fact that he was kind of even when he, I think he was sixteen or seventeen, and he was an absolute leader on the pitch. He was kind of I think he used to play centre mid in those days, and he was yeah. he was his leadership qualities for seventeen year old were just absolutely amazing. Uh, and he's probably one of the best players I've, I've come across as well. It's got Calvin Phillips, Ryan Babel, uh, we've got David Brooks, Connor Cody, and some Suso. Suso. So you leave out Raheem Sterling and Dominic Calvert Lewin. It's just at the time, at the time, they didn't stand out as much, really. But uh, that's brilliant. Really. Yeah. No, that's good to hear. Like at the time, like Ryan Babel was an established international. Yeah, I get what you mean. Though. That's fantastic. But, but, but that's, that's the beauty of it, really. As in, you can see someone who completely looks garbage at the time. You think he's, he doesn't look like he's going to be have a career, and then he'll develop in a couple of years, and he'll end up being a really good footballer. So it's, you can never judge it on one game, also. And I, for me, on a personal level, I think it's a real. Credit to yourself, the fact that you have to go to these away grounds and you have to travel a lot for your refereeing as well. Like the fact that it's not all just local and anyone can say as like a local ref or a local scout, but the fact that you've had to like travel around the country over a numerous amount of years just to get yeah. where you are, like a level four 
uh, referee is is a big credit to yourself, and I just want to say that's that's incredible to do. So thank you very much. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's. I think that's what it is. It's about sacrifices, really. I think there were times, and, and we get paid, but again, I think I, I did a game last last year in Scarborough mm. on Boxing Day. Scarborough's two and a half hours, two, two hours away from my house. So I'm, if I'm getting £40, pound, I'm, I've got to set off at 11 o'clock. You've got to get that an hour and a half before kickoff. After the game, it's, it's not 90 minutes. It's, it's a full day, really. So £40 pound over nine, 10 hours isn't, isn't much, really. So it's, it's, it's about kind of, you've got to love the game. You've got to love what you do to do it and not think about the money, really. And, and the travel, it, take, it takes, a, especially at my level, I'm, I'm travelling two, two hours sometimes to games. So it's just something you've got to love uh, and you've got to enjoy, really. And that's just another way of loving the game of football, just being a referee and going to all these places and in the country and... It's not even like you can go and then just chill out. You have to always come back. You've got a family to come to as well. And it's nice to hear from your side of things. So I think we'll end it there. So thank you very much, Omar. Thank you, Salim, and all, as always. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. And goodbye.